I'm joined by another um, high-profile guest, um, Mr. Douglas Robert Brown, um, is with us today. Not more known to the to the general public as Dougie Brown, with a with a curly locks on top of his head. Still got a bit of that going, Dougie. How you yeah, doing? Yeah, just I'm good, thanks, Shaky. Yeah, good to good to speak to you, mate. Uh, e evening, everybody. How are you all doing? Um, I'm I'm thankful. I've still got a few the, the, a few grey ones, a, a bit greyer than they used to be, and and a bit less than used to be, but there's still a bit there. Uh, you mentioned to me actually over a message. I might get in trouble for this, but you did message me saying that a bit more than Gavin Hamilton. Mate, have you? Uh, well, he was on. He was on a couple of weeks ago. Now I was obviously really shocked. I was like, Gav was always kind of a bit of a pinup boy, wasn't he? He was always. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he backed his backed his looks and all that sort of stuff, and he's like, oh, he looks like Bruce Willis now, doesn't he? Well, it works for him. I think it works. You know, the, the, the George Clooney stroke Bruce Willis look. Gav's gone down now. You know, he's still uh, he's still out running ten k's like yourself. Yeah. You know, keeping keeping fit. So I mean, it's really good to see the old guard of uh, Scottish cricket are still, uh, you know, can still, I mean, every time I speak to you over WhatsApp or something, you're coming back from a run. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's impressive. I wish I could, I should really take inspiration and get, get myself get myself into the mix. But just for the viewers that are, that are tuning in, um, I'm sure a lot of you will know uh, Dougie Brown, but just to give you a little bit more of a background. So, Dougie Brown is a former Scotland, former England, and former Warwickshire um, all-rounder, top all-rounder. Um, and as well as that, in more recent times, he's, he's, he's ventured into the, the coaching world as well. He's coached some, some teams such as Namibia, once upon a time in the World Cup. And also, uh, in more recent times, the United Arab Emirates. Where you, where you stay now, Dougie, I believe? Yeah, we're, we're in Dubai at the moment. We've just moved house in the last week as well, so it's been a bit chaotic. But uh, thankfully, you can see the boxes have all gone and we can actually, it actually looks like a house now, which is great. Um, but we've been here for the last three years. We, we love it. It's... Um, you know, it's a really nice place to live. Great place to bring kids up, which is what's important to us. Um, it's starting to get pretty hot at the minute, which is, uh, it has a challenge. But to be fair, nine months of the year, the weather's unbelievably good. Uh, three months, it's quite oppressive. But, you know, you take the rough with the smooth, don't you? So we, we, we love it here. No, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear. Glad to hear you're nice and settled. Family are all good. Three-month-old and a, and a five-year-old, you were telling me now. So the three-month-old must be keeping you busy. She's amazing, to be fair. She's um, she sleeps through the night. It's probably many people don't want to hear that, but she's. Well, I'm jealous. Me, I'm jealous <laughs> hearing that, mate. I'm very jealous <laughs> hearing that. I, I'm saying that probably my wife will come down now with a screaming baby. It's like, oh my god. But um, no, she's she's amazing. Um, the five-year-old's brilliant. She loves it here. She's in school. She, you know, speaking a bit of Arabic and that sort of stuff, which is which is really cool. You know, seeing yeah. things from a very a very different perspective. You know, you, you live in the UK for a long time and you, you're kind of closeted as to the, the way it is in the UK, whether it's Scotland or England, whatever. Uh, you come over here and the majority of people here are expats and there's a completely different way to, to live your life. And uh, part of that is embracing like what you come to. And, and I think that's really important. And I, and I love the fact that, you know, we get a chance to expose ourselves to that over a sort of an extended period of time. I think it's great for kids. It's great for us. Um, and I think it, it makes you a much more rounded person to experience the, the multiculturalism of, um, you know, the, like the, the true sort of first generation multiculturalism that you get uh, in the UAE. Mm -hmm. No, fantastic. Fantastic. It's awesome to hear. So, Dougie, you were born way back. A day before me, we shared birthdays just after the day after each other. Born 29th of October. I'm 30th of October. You were born by 1969. Back right. In, okay. Yeah. Can you not? Can you not lie about that? Can you not lie? Can you make me a little bit younger or not? Listen, if you want it, we can add a few. We can add a few years on. You know that. That's, that look, you still. You still. You still look thirty. You still look in your thirties, Dougie. They, 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 thank you. 
Um, born back in lovely Stirling, great part of the world um, in Scotland. Uh, I want to take you back. I want to take you all the way back and tell me about your, your childhood, your family background, and what it was like growing up in Stirling. Well, I, I actually, I was born in Stirling, but I grew up in Alloa. So, um, um, like the, you know, the wee county, it's like Manninshire, it's the smallest county in Scotland. It was, you know, um, yeah, we very lucky, you know, we, we had everything there. You know, I played football and I played golf as a kid. That was, they, they were my two sports, you know, winter sport, summer sport. All my mates, they played rugby, rugby and cricket. And, um, you know, I was quite happy playing football in the winter and golf in the summer and all that sort of stuff. Take my golf clubs to school and hop over the fence and, and jump onto the golf course and that sort of stuff. Really supportive parents who, you know, wanted me to do well, whatever I chose to do. But it was never, nothing was ever pushed on me about, um, about playing sport or being at academic or whatever. It was just I got support whatever, you know, whatever I was doing really. And um, um, basically I came into cricket really late. Um, my mates who were rugby, rugby cricket mates, they, um, were, they were a man short for Clackmannan. Um, in an under 13 Scottish Cup game against Ayrshire on like a Tuesday night or something like that. It was a, a wet Tuesday night. And um, I'd been playing so much football and stuff because we were getting through, we, we played for quite a good team and all that sort of stuff. And it was actually getting quite hard work playing football every, every night and training and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll come and play. They were a man short. I went, I went and played. And from that moment, I was absolutely smitten by cricket. I, I absolutely loved it uh, to a point whereby I kind of, I kind of got involved in cricket at Clackmannan, started wow. playing in the second team. We, we only ran two teams, um, played in the second team with men when I was sort of 14. And I thought that was, that was phenomenal. And, you know, you, you go on away trips and the, the guys, some of them were my teachers at school and stuff. And yeah. they kind of looking after you. You know how it works. Yeah, and, and, yeah, so, yeah, and, you know, yeah. you have to look after each other. And I think that creates a, an amazing club atmosphere. Uh, we had a great sort of diverse mix of people who are, playing cricket at the time, you know, Sanjay Patel, Mike Cousin, um, there was David Henderson, Mahindra Patel, and so many good professionals that came through as well. And we, we kind of probably boxed above a weight, really, to, for, a, for a long part of it. Um, but that was my sort of first introduction to, to cricket. Sport was always something that was really important to me. Um, but cricket was something that I, I really embraced, and, 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 I, and I loved everything that cricket sort of gave. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the challenge of it um, and the discipline that, that came with it. And um, yeah, that, so that was my first start really. And, and from there on in, everything was about sort of trying to play cricket at a better level, which I, you know, I suppose I left school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went and worked in a bank. I mean, what the hell was I doing going to work in a bank? But I did. I went and worked there for 18 months. But um, I was like, well, okay, I, if I want to play cricket, I need to move and do something that actually allows me to, to better myself. So I did. I went to university down in London, mm -hmm. um, studied physical education, and I used to travel up every Friday night um, on the bus mm -hmm. to come and play cricket for Clackmannan on, on a Saturday Whoa. because I wanted to play cricket for Scotland. Yeah, and, okay. I, and the only way I could do that is by dominating and doing really well for Clackmannan. So yeah, I did that travel. That's a that's a that's a big commitment, eh? I mean, I've wow. done some journeys from like the, the likes of Manchester and stuff, and you know that tires you out. But a bus journey from London, and then obviously getting back, I'm assuming for Monday morning. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be playing cricket on a sat on a on a Saturday. Uh, Dad would pick me up on a like, early in a Saturday morning. I'd go and have a couple of hours sleep, 
I, I get into Stirling at five o'clock in the morning, have a couple of hours sleep, and then we might be traveling to Aberdeen. Uh, so, you know, so you're meeting at nine o'clock for a one o'clock start. So you've got a couple of hours and you're off you go. And then on a Sunday, I was sort of playing for like representative stuff, playing for the central belt, as we, as we yeah. like to call it, you know, and um, we'd be all over the country again. And then wherever we were, I'd get back to Stirling, get the bus again and go down overnight to a lecture. We started at nine o'clock on a, on a Monday morning. So it was like trips across London. You must have, you must have, you must have fallen been close to falling fall asleep in a few of those lectures I'd imagine on a Monday morning. To be, to be honest, it wasn't about the lectures. It was about me playing cricket. You know, yeah. it was like, it was really important for me to, to come back up and actually get to a point whereby I saw that journey through mm -hmm. because I wasn't a good enough player as a, as a young kid to, to just to dominate, you know, that environment and, and deserve a county contract. And that was the last thing that I was even thinking about really. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was play cricket for Scotland. And um, yeah. the only way I could do that was by exposing myself to a different environment than Alloa, mm -hmm. which is very small, you know, um, and, and actually go and challenge myself somewhere else. But I still needed to prove myself in that, in that kind of that environment. Um, and that's kind of what I did. Just on the cricket, I mean, you mentioned football, Dougie, but I mean, you're, you're, under, you're underselling yourself here. I mean, from what I've read up, you played a bit of football for Scotland under 18s. Is that right? I did, but I, I think I got in by default. I think I think they made a mistake with my. <laughs> no, I did play. I played football. I played football to a reasonable standard. Um, yeah. And if I'm honest, I was I was never big enough. I was a, I was a I was a goalkeeper, a Scottish okay. keeper, right? It doesn't doesn't bode very well, does it? But yeah. I was a Scottish goalkeeper, and um, I was playing representative football, kind of all the way through from under eleven, I guess, up to yeah. under eighteens, and um, I was never really big enough. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, looking back, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now sort of six foot two and, you I know. I was thinking that. I mean, you're not, a small, you're not a small guy, but you were a late developer then. I was, yeah. It took me a long time to, to grow and that sort of stuff. And um, I was never really, if I'm honest, I was probably never good enough. I was certainly never tall enough to be a dominant goalkeeper in that environment. Um, although I was playing representative football and stuff and I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as I think as soon as I started playing cricket, it was like, okay, well, football just has to go. But saying that, I went to university and, and then played, still played football at university and, okay. you know, played, played against some, some pretty, you know, some pretty high. So we played, we, what did we play? We played all the, at the time, all the Vauxhall local teams, uh, played against Brentford, played against, uh, who did we play? QPR reserves. So we played, you know, we played quite a decent standard of football and stuff like that, but Long and short, as I always, my heart was always in, in cricket, and that was that was a journey I wanted to try and follow. So, you make these these coach journeys. You come up and down the country. When do you now start kind of making that transition into getting recognised by rep stuff? I.e., did you play like Scotland in the nineteens, or what was your kind of what was your journey like into the international stuff? So it, it's kind of a strange one, and I think it's a, it's actually quite a good story. Um, I never got picked to play under 16 cricket for Scotland, under 19 cricket for Scotland at any stage. I always played and you know, you know, you play these, these trial matches, you know, whoever against the rest. Well, I was always in the rest and I never really got an opportunity to play. Um, I wasn't, and, and you know, like all, all my mates, they would go and play. I remember they, they went down and played against England schools at uh, Edgebaston. 
And I just thought this was the coolest thing in the world. And I was like, I was gutted that I didn't get a chance to. Little did you know that that was little did you know, mate. I know. That's the thing. That's that's the thing. You know, you look back now and you're like, it's it's, it's actually quite funny. But I Mm -hmm. I didn't play Scotland under 19s until I'd actually played for the full Scotland side. So I played against, I made my debut against Ireland in Dublin in 1989 that was so a long time ago but Andy Gorham made his debut on the same day and that sort of stuff so that was that was nice you know uh, and then three days later we went uh, we came back to to play at West of Scotland against Australia mm-hmm. so you know Steve Wall was in his pomp he was averaging 400 in the test series and all that sort yeah. of stuff and it was an amazing day uh, like the weather was unbelievable mm-hmm. and uh, West Scotland was packed uh, which was was quality as well um, and so I played against Australia uh, mm-hmm. and then I got picked for the Scotland on the 19th side which this, is kind of how does how does it, how I'm just trying to I'm trying to work out how this can how this can be did the under 19 selector not like you but the national team selector liked you I, 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 don't, I don't I don't know but the the bottom line is that it was I persevered I didn't want to be put off by that I was like okay no 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 that's fine. I'm not getting picked, but I'll keep on trying. I'll keep, you know, knocking the door down. And ultimately, if my performances are good enough, then I'll get a chance. And I think, you know, I think there's, there's different ways to get into an environment. I think ones who, who deal with adversity in, in the early stages of a career, I do think that actually stacks up really well if for them to have a, a fairly successful career. Because, like, there's no, there's no doubting that if you're playing professional sport, you will have more bad days than good days, particularly cricket, because a lot of the stuff you can't control. You can control your preparation and your processes and all that sort of stuff. Your outcomes, like you know, you can't control because there's always somebody that is likely to have one ball in them that is better than your day, and and you have to deal with that sort of stuff. So I dealt with a lot of adversity, a lot of knocking back, and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I think. I'd like to think it's quite a good story for anybody who just wants to be resilient enough to keep trying and pushing and, and actually get themselves to the point whereby you do deserve to get picked. And I, I just kept on persevering and I got to that point, which was great. Well, look, it's, 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 it's really inspiring to, to hear, Dougie, because a lot of people probably feel by the time they're like 18, 19, 20, I've maybe missed. Maybe missed the boat here. Um, and your story there, early doors certainly suggests, I mean, I, I was totally the opposite. I played 13, 15, 17, went to the MCC when I was 17, 19. Mm. I, I did all that transition before I went into the national team. And I do, I find it hard to believe how I would have dealt with it if I didn't have that to go then mm. into the national team. I think it would have been, uh, it's a real test to your, your mental strength. I think that's something reading up about you. You've always been a very mentally strong uh, character. And, and that speaks as we move on into, into your career. It was around 1990 that you went down to play against... Uh, Warwickshire for Scotland and um, tell me about your memories of that game and um, obviously you, you impressed yeah I, so I, I actually wrote to um, to Warwickshire um, through a guy called David Wilson who played for Clackmannan he was like the Scottish national coach education um, educator uh, mm-hmm. and he had played cricket in the Midlands he had played a bit of Warwickshire's Warwickshire, maybe second. He tells me he plays for Warwickshire's second team. I don't know if he did, but he was certainly well known around the Midlands um, right. yeah. for his cricket and that sort of stuff. And um, he was quite influential in, in my career because 
you know, he was somebody that could open doors and he was well connected, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't really know where my cricket was going. I, I knew I was okay, but I didn't know how good I really was. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually spoke to him and said, look, what are the chances of, of you maybe opening a door for me or, or whatever? He said, look, I, there's two people I know that you can write to. So one of them is a guy called Ken Higgs at Leicestershire. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote to Leicestershire and asked for a trial. Another one was a guy called Bob Cottom um, at Warwickshire, who was the, the manager at Warwickshire at the Bob, time. Good man, good man. Uh, top man. And uh, so I wrote to both of them. They were the only two counties I wrote to. I got a letter back from Leicester within three or four days. Really sorry. It was like amazing, like getting a, a letter with the, the fox on it and all that sort of stuff, Leicestershire County Cricket Club. And that, that's quite cool in its own regard. And it was like, unfortunately, you know, we're fully committed for the, the season, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, no worries. And then Warwickshire, actually, they phoned me and said, it was Bob Cottam phoned me, said, we'd like you to come down. So I went down for a trial. So I didn't actually play against Warwickshire. I, I actually wrote and, and went down for oh, a trial. Okay. So okay. I went down for a trial and there was 30, I remember it to this day, it was a boiling hot day at Edgebaston. 13 of us, on the, we were on the coach ground at Edgebaston, so the, the ground to the side of the, of the main ground. And it was boiling hot. And uh, it was a bit of a test, you know, like, they put down sort of jugs of ice cold water and, and juice and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, basically just see who, who stops first. And, you know, and I, I, I just did what I do. I just kept running in and running in and I had a, had a hit. And, and then I, I got invited down for um, a second trial. And there was three of us this time. Mm-hmm. So they'd whittled, whittled out 10 and there was three of us. And the other two guys that were there were clearly guys who had come through the system, you know, from a very young age, you know. Local very, boys, local boys, are you talking more local so, boys down there? Both English guys, one was from the Midlands, one was from Oxfordshire, and they, um, but they were sort of schoolboy prodigies sort of things. And I was, I was 19 at the time, they were 18. And um, I got invited back down again, three of us, and this time we were training with the, the Warwickshire contracted staff. So mm-hmm. some of the first team players, some of the second team players, and, and I did all right, I got invited down for a, for a, another, for a match, mm-hmm. basically. But this time I was, so I was working as a drayman at, um, at Alaba Brewery. So mm-hmm. I was delivering beer through pretty much Glasgow every single day. And I was loving it because I was getting paid really well to do it. You know, when yeah. you're a student, you're like, how good is this? And um, so I went down and I took a week off. I went down and played a game against Leicestershire. Did all right, got four wickets in the first innings, two in the second. Um, and then I came back up to Scotland. I didn't really know how, how it had gone. I didn't know if four wickets, two wickets was actually, was it good or bad or indifferent? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a phone call from Bob Cotton saying they wanted to offer me a, uh, a summer contract. Mm-hmm. So would, would I accept £130 a week? Um, and I was like, yeah, I do this for nothing, mate. Don't worry yeah. about that. The, yeah. the thing was, I was getting paid like 200 quid a week working as a, as a drayman in the, in the brewery. Yeah, um, but it wasn't about that. It was just about the opportunity because okay. that was yeah, just getting into play. Yeah, and so I went down and I, I went down to Warwickshire and I shared a house with um, Joey Benjamin, Roger Tooze, Tony Merrick, uh, Graham Welsh, so uh, Adrian Pearson. So it was six of us in a house, which was on yep. the corner, right in the corner of the of the road where the ground is, and it was just amazing. Like I was in this little box room, and they were, you know, to be part of something like that, and it's just actually crazy thinking back, you know, to that time, what it was actually like. You know, you see these megastars sort of rocking up, you know, Alan Donald's there and yeah. 
more Tim Munton, Dermot Reeve. And you're like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I, the fact that I was probably, I didn't know them as sort of implicitly as uh, maybe if I'd been English, I would have probably been a bit more phased by the environment, but mm -hmm. I actually wasn't because I didn't really know. I knew, I knew who they were, but I didn't really know who they were and mm -hmm. how amazing they, they were. And um, so I just kind of got stuck in and, you know, that's it really. <laughs> that's what it started. So what age were you here, Dougie? I mean, you signed, so, you, so 92, you, you signed and played for Warwickshire the same year. So, so no, I, I signed a summer contract in 89. Right. Okay. So I was 19 at the time. Right, okay. So uh, 89, and then at the end of that season, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I was still at university, uh, and then at the end of the 89 season, I got offered a, a year, a year summer contract again. Mm -hmm. So I got off another year, still at university, and mm -hmm. then at the end of the 1990 season, I got offered a two-year full contract. So okay. I was still at university, but I was actually getting paid when I wasn't there. So yeah. I, I, so. I made my debut in, in 1991. So my one-day one debut for Warwickshire against Derbyshire. Mm -hmm. I played three or four um, Sunday league games. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually did pretty well in the first, first games that I played. Um, and then, yeah, I finished university and it was like, okay, right. And I, I remember actually, I was doing my dissertation. So I would kind of got everything done before January, knowing that I wanted to try and clear as much as I could. So it was just my exams that I had to do, my finals. Mm -hmm. um, and then clear me up for the rest of the season. And I remember to this day that my dissertation was, it was amazing until the conclusion. And then the cricket season started and it was absolute pump. So the, the, <laughs> last, the, the, last, the last two, no, no, I got it done. But the last 2000 words were honestly, I might as well have got my, my five-year-old to do it because I just, I just wanted to be playing cricket. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, just to, we're going to touch on your, your, some of your highlights of your, your Warwickshire career. Um, and then we'll go on to talk about some other great achievements you've had. You were part of the Warwickshire treble winning side um, in 1994. What an achievement, what a team to be part of. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you named some of the guys, but there were players such as Dermot Reeve, Brian Lara, part of that team. He was, yeah. Um, Ashley Giles, um, Gladstone Small, to name yeah. a few. Take me into that changing room, Dougie, kind of take me into what, the, what that was like. So, okay, so I'd, I'd been sort of there for a, what four years probably by that point bob woman had come in mm -hmm. and bob and bob and Dermot reeve they had they're just i mean any successful team that i've been part of or, or i've seen mm -hmm. relies on a, an amazing um, coach cap, captain relationship there needs to be a lot of mutual stuff going on there um mutual respect mutual trust um they had that bob bob is an amazing innovator Dermot was an amazing man man uh, people person Mm -hmm. uh, you'd have a conversation with Dermot and you'd never leave the conversation feeling bad about yourself. He had this amazing way just to pump your tires up and you go away thinking, geez, I'm actually quite a good player I'm, or I'm a, a decent bloke or whatever. Mm -hmm. He had that, that canny knack and that got the best out of his, of his players. Bob was amazing at pushing boundaries of what maybe people have thought was impossible. Uh, was like, no, no, come on, let's prove it. I've got this idea, we'll prove it wrong. So, for example, and, and one of the big things, there was, there was two big things that season. One was three big things. One was the, the, the coach-captain relationship, which was just so tight. Both of them, Dermot and Bob, had massive flaws, but so many positives. But the flaws that they had, they, they dovetailed amazingly. So what, 
Dermot was not so strong at, Bob was super strength and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So you got this, this amazing package of, of just the best of everything. Mm -hmm. um, so innovation, but also being sort of encouraged to, to go out and maybe fail if that's what it takes. But, you know, practice things you've never practiced to take yourself to that next level. Um, and then um, the second thing was Brian Lara coming. You know, he'd just broken the world record. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden, within two weeks of him breaking the, the test world record, he's in, in the environment. And it's like, like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and then he went 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. He got 600. And then, then a 500. And it was like, okay, well, this guy is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But we want to kind of prove to you, Brian, as a young player, that mm -hmm. we are worthy of sort of being, you know, being a good player alongside you. Mm -hmm. So there was this people were there to try and prove almost to Brian that we were, we we were as well. We could play too. And mm -hmm. that was, that was unbelievable. Um, and and the, probably the last thing was that actually there was um, a, an amazing amount of young players coming through who were encouraged just to go and do the stuff. They didn't have to come and play at the top of the game. You know, they were fitting into an amazing spine of a side. So, mm -hmm. you know, Andy Moles, one of the best opening batsmen in, in county cricket, never didn't play for England, but fin a phenomenal just player. On that, just on that, Dougie, um, I, I, I spoke to him. It's already been out, of course. I, I spoke to Andy Moles' podcast. It's been out. He's um, he's obviously gone through some challenges. But yeah. you know, what? Uh, just just while we, while you mentioned that name, I'm just shocked. I mean, a great coach as well played under him. What's your mm. thoughts? Should he have played for England? Oh, uh, without doubt, he was he was unbelievable. He was the most. Um, tenacious player, the, the bravest player, the most resilient batter. Um, he was, you can, you can call him whatever he was, he was just a good player, a mm -hmm. really, really good player who would have done brilliantly at test level. You look at the likes of Vaughan and Triscothic, when they actually got picked for England, they weren't really dominating county cricket mm -hmm. because, but they, their games just lent themselves to, to playing the ball that bounced above the stumps. Um, people who just bowled that channel all day relentlessly. Moeller was exactly the same. You know, he had, he had this, this incredible brain, this mind, this, this sort of tenacity, um, a sheer bloody mindedness, basically. But he was also really skillful as well. I uh, knew his game, quite a limited game, but he knew it really well. And he worked yeah. around the, the shots that he had. Um, but he pushed himself really hard uh, in everything that he did. Um, and he just made the best of the package, you know, that, that he was, that he had, mm -hmm. um, without a shadow of a doubt, if he had played for England, he would have been a revelation. There's no doubt. And we can sit here and, you know, talk about how good he could have been away. Yeah, he yeah. never got a chance to prove it. And we can all talk and, you know, just talk around all this stuff that might have happened or didn't, but he didn't get the chance. And that's a real shame because I actually think England missed a massive trick. They use a lot of opening batters in mm -hmm. that period of time. Uh, I think Moeller would have been a would have been a brilliant um, player to have for maybe three four years through that period, because mm -hmm. um, you know you you look at his numbers in county cricket they're they're extraordinary really. I, I mean, I when I looked at it and I was going through it with him, he was very he was very humble to be honest. Um, he was very humble about it, and he said, "Sorry, I, you can probably hear my daughter screaming in the background." That's all right. Um, oh, invite her in. She's probably got better chat than me, mate. <laughs> no, when she gets, when she screams like that, listen, I, I like to be, I like to be a safe distance. 
Um, he, he, he talked about just the, the players that were around him, and he obviously mentioned Graham Gooch, um, Atherton, these kind of guys, and then Butcher. Um, and he said, you know, these were top-end players. And he kind of played it down, and I, I think he, he was he was playing it down too much. It's interesting to see you talk about it, because you seem pretty clear about it, that the man should have had a, should have had a chance and should have played. The other man that we're obviously talking about, he, uh, Brian Lara, um, he, he mentioned once that he, Brian Lara got the batters round and kind of said, um, you know, we all need to find something that motivates us. Um, and he, Brian Lara's was, he got paid, I think, per run, uh, a couple of quid per run. So he wanted to be churning out the, churning out the money incentive. Moeller said his incentive was his, his kids watching in the stadium and he wanted them to know he was doing well. Did you have anything, anything like that? I always went back to that. So I, I yeah, I two things. One was that I, okay, I, I called it, in the end, I came to, to, all of us have fear of failure, right? And that's yep. one of the things that having that, that psychological ability to, to overcome fear of failure, because cricket, it's a great sport for fear of failure because you sit around and wait to fail, right? See, so yeah. as a batter, you're batting at number four or whatever, and you're sitting, waiting, wait, 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 wait. And, and all of, the game changes, it ebbs and flows all the time. You know, might, somebody might be in the middle of an amazing spell, it might be quite a hostile spell, or the game changes, you know, it's a really important, pivotal part of the game. So, you know, the pressure changes with the game, the, the ebb and flow of the game. Um, mm -hmm. And then you sit and wait, and like, you, then you start to self-doubt, and you're like, have I done my preparation? Am I good enough? Da -da 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 -da. I, I'm a brave enough? You know, this is quick, this is intimidating. Da -da. All these questions that, that kind of go on. In the end, I came to terms with that, and I, and I called it my worst-case scenario. And as soon as I got that, I was like, a different player, particularly from a batting point of view. As a bowler, I didn't really have fear of failure. Early part of my career, maybe, but as a batter, when I could come to terms with failing, I was my my game really prospered. Um, mm -hmm. But it took me quite a long time. And the way the way it worked for me was like, okay, you got to bat. You're a bit nervous. Your beans are going. All that sort of stuff. We all go through it. Whether you're playing club cricket or international cricket, it's the same thing. You go out there and okay, if I get out first ball today for not, is it going to change my life? Yes or no? No, it's not changed my life. Okay, cool. Play the first ball and then you go from there. If I get out second ball for not, has it changed my life? No. And you, all of a sudden you get one off your legs for two and you've got two. And, and slowly but surely you start piecing together the semblance of an innings, understanding that actually it's okay to fail. And you might fail. You might get any ball, but is it changing your life? No, it's not. The only pressure I'm putting on myself is if it changes, if it's life-changing. And I came to terms that it didn't have to change my life. But what I did do at some stage, as and when I got to 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, you start to flip it on its head. And it's like, okay, if I get 150, is it going to change my life? It might do. Yeah. And I, I tried to sort of flip my fear of failure on its head mm -hmm. to try and turn it into, into, into a real sort of positive thing. And that was, you know, that was, for me, that was really important. Um, but it took me a long time to understand where I was going with that. Um, and I can't remember what I was going to talk about the first, <laughs> first bit. There was two well, parts that I can't remember. Guys, in my mind. But that was, no, that, me, that was really, that was I've really heard, important. I've never heard a kind of a makeup like that of the way to, the way to look at fear of failure and flipping it on its head. That was, mm. that was interesting. So don't worry about it. The fact that you went off on a tangent there, Dougie. It's all right. Sorry. <laughs> you know, 1997, um, you know, you, so you played in a fantastic team. You know, you won, you won everything in 94. Um, 
you know, but it's good to hear that, you know, you as a team still made sure you came together. Like you said, you hired a gun, gun overseas. He, t- he was winning games probably kind of single-handedly, but you still got the best out of the team. It's, it's really, really interesting to hear. You keep going on. I mean, it's an amazing career you had. In 1997, um, you were the leading wicket-taker in the country um, around the county circuit. I mean, what a, the amount of bowlers, good bowlers that would have been playing in the circuit at that point. I think the standard of bowling back in your era probably is a bit stronger than what it is nowadays. I mean, there were some great quicks kicking about. You know, great effort to, to, to lead the charge. What, what, what went right for you that season? Um, bowling at the other end to Alan Donald because everybody, everybody, I, all, I, all I did that year was held my length and yeah. people tried to tee me up because they didn't want to face AD. He was bowling, face AD. Mate, he was bowling absolute rockets that yeah. year. And it's interesting as well because I, I don't know if Gav actually spoke about it in, in his podcast, but we played a game in 97 at Edgebaston. It was a one-day game. And AD had six slips. It was a one-day game. Gab was batting. We had two third men catching on the boundary for like just, just getting one like that. So it was yeah. basically eight guys catching. Yeah. Um, AD got six for 15. And that's kind of what, that's kind of why I think I prospered. Um, when you bowl at the other end to somebody who is world-class and actually is just, you've got the fear of God up everybody. Yeah. You know, they, they, the opposition knew that if, if they lose a wicket, okay, it might be okay for a while. Some guys can go out and bat against that pace or that ferocity or whatever. AD just kept coming, kept coming hard. Everybody, it didn't matter if it was a test match or a Warwickshire game. He just kept coming. And he had, yeah. the, he had the, the physicality to do that. He had the skill to do that and the mindset to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and he did it every single day. It might be going really well for an opposition. You lose one wicket they know that AD can run through them. Mm-hmm. So what actually I benefited from was probably that. And I, I bowled quite well that year, but I just held my length. I, wasn't, I was generally bowling at the other end. So you're bowling into the wind, up the hill or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, just I'll do honest, that. So basically you got all your wickets with guys just clapping it and thinking, right, I need to swing. That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I just held my length really well. And people, you know yourself, like if, as a bowler, if you can hold your length, you, it's quite hard work as a batter. Yeah. And, you know, people end up throwing their hands at, at one, nicking it or whatever, or chipping it to cover or something like that. Yeah. And I did really well. You know, AD got a lot of wickets, but I, I got a lot of wickets as well. And it was like, you know, cricket for AD me... AD broke a lot of bones. AD broke a lot of bones. He did. You just chucked away and getting all those... Oh, no. Exactly. But that's the thing, you know, you, but your bowling is a partnership. You know, cricket is about partnerships, whether you're batting and bowling or fielding or whatever it is. You know, you're stronger as two or, or 11 than you are as one. And you're not going to win anything if there's just one of you. You need to be, be like teams. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's a, a partnership, a bowling partnership as a team. And I think that works really well. I bowled really well at the other end to him. He terrorized people. And I, and I actually picked up some cheap wickets, which, and that's, that's pretty much how it was. Listen, how the, I guess the question is, how did what was very smart by Warwickshire, I mean, the, the, the players, the, the overseas boys that they picked up at that time, two of probably the leading cricketers in the world in their, in their skill, Brian Lara, you know, one of the, if not the great, in my opinion, best batter, best batter ever. And Alan Donald, you know, you could, you could, you could argue against it, but in any day could be the greatest, one of the greatest bowlers of all time. How, do you, how did you manage to, who, who was the th- how did Warwickshire get the clever, who was the clever person there that picked these guys up? And was, there, was the financial bucket quite 
quite healthy. No. You know what? It probably probably was quite healthy, but I think we were just really lucky. Um, Alan was um, he came across as a young kid. Uh, you know, he, he actually couldn't speak English when he came across. He only spoke Afrikaans, and um, you know, he he stayed there for twelve years or so. So all the way through, which was phenomenal. Um, Brian, we got really lucky, and as much that he had just broken a world record, we had we had tried to sign um, somebody else, uh, Manoj Prabaka, and he got injured, uh, which allowed us to, to to sign Brian on the back of his world record, which was unbelievable, really. Um, oh, you're still there. There we go. Yeah, just sorry. just lost, you, lost you for a minute. Um, yeah. and, uh, we, we, I think we got a bit lucky, but I think the one thing about Warwickshire is that once you're there, you, you tend to stay there for a long time if you can. Yeah. And, you know, that's a really healthy place to be. You know, we, we spent a lot of time developing a culture and, and working on behaviors that, that actually allowed people to be good. You know, there was in 94, it, it sounds like, we, you know, we had the best team environment in the world and everybody was, you know, happy, slappy, you know, patting each other on the back. It wasn't like that at all. You know, there's still little factions in the dressing room. You know, you'd rather go out for a, a beer or, or something to eat with this guy as opposed to that guy. Because ultimately, yeah. you know, you're 20 people have been put together in a, in a work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that doesn't matter what you're doing when you're playing sport or, you're, you know, you're working in an office. Um, but we managed to have complete respect for each other. We understood what strengths people were. And people were happy to hold the hand up and say, I'm not very good at this. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. You're not very good. I know you're not. You know you're not. I'll do it for you. And yeah. that was kind of, we covered each other's backs really, really well. But definitely from a culture point of view, that's what's allowed us to keep some of the best players, like particularly Alan, um, coming back year on year. Because it's really unusual. Gloucester had it with Courtney. Um, you know, North Ants had it with Curly Ambrose. Lancashire, Wazi Makra. Waz, you know. So again, there was a lot of similar kind of stuff going on. You know, you had world's greatest players at the time yep. coming back year on year. Um, but I'd like to think that, you know, we, we managed to create, I think all the teams managed to create this sort of little bubble that mm-hmm. wanted people to come back and it actually encouraged people to come back year on year because they actually loved that environment, not it just because they wanted to get paid. Money seems to have changed the game though, Dougie. I don't think, that's, um, I don't think that happens now as much. You, uh, don't, you don't see it as much now. I, I think, Shaky, I think, the, the, I think it's more the international calendar. It, mm-hmm. That doesn't allow people to come back year on year. And I know that when we signed Sean Pollock, who was also an amazing world-class player in 1996, yep. he, um, he was only allowed to bowl a certain amount of overs. And that was the first time we had actually been you know, told that your overseas player can, can, you know, he's got to abide by limitations. And mm-hmm. that was Cricket South Africa that, that put that in place. But you know, nowadays it's, you know, it's, it's the usual thing. You can maybe have four or five overseas players over the course of a domestic summer. I don't necessarily agree that that's the right way to go. But mm-hmm. if you're going to get the world's best players, um, then, you know, you're going to have to do that because the world's best players are going to be busy during uh, all stage of the, of the year, not, not yeah. just the domestic summer. Yeah. You, you go on, I mean, we talked about your bowling there, great season, and we're going to talk about some of your international stuff, but I'm going to finish with your, your Warwickshire stuff first and foremost. 2003, a big season for you. Um, a thousand first-class runs in the season. That must have been a, a really proud moment for you. 
It was. It was, um, you know, uh, that was amazing. I'd, I'd just been coaching Namibia um, at the World Cup. And I, I spent the first sort of three months of that just getting stuck into coaching. And mm-hmm. what I'd, I actually learned was that, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm tr- asking the guys to do that mm-hmm. maybe I wasn't doing myself. And it comes back to bare bones, you know, real fundamental stuff. Um, and I, I was like, okay, I need to sort it out because I, I need, if I was going to be a decent player, I needed to sort it out. And, mm-hmm. and I did sort it out. You know, I managed to get a, a good pre-delivery movement and all this technical stuff. And I, I understood what balance was and rhythm was when I was batting. I understood how to build an innings and the fact that the only important run you'll ever score is your next one. Mm-hmm. Not, not about what you know. I, I, you know, early part of my career, I was, you know, brilliant at getting to 50 and then chucking it away because I wanted to get to hundred. Mm-hmm. That's not how you, that's not how you score hundreds. You score hundreds by, by just valuing every single ball and, and getting you to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, the penny kind of dropped. It dropped quite late, but 2003 it was amazing. I, I knew that I went out there every time I went out to, to bat. It didn't matter what the score was. If it was, if we were 100 for five or 100 for four because I batted at six or seven, mm-hmm. it didn't matter. And the amount of times, you know, in 2003, 2004, as, as a Warwickshire team, we were 100 for five. We ended up declaring on 500. Mm-hmm. It, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, I'm really proud of that because actually I love the fact that you know, the game can be completely and utterly gone away from your team and then you actually stop the rot and you actually slowly but surely change the whole process and momentum of the game uh, and turn it back to your favour. That then allows other people to come in in quite a dominant environment and actually just put the cherry on the top. And, I, I you know, I really like the fact that I was able to do that. Um, particularly so you kind of look like you ushered the kind of the middle order to the tail. You were able to kind yeah. of, you're important kind of... Uh, yeah. Very important batter in that role because it's a skill, it's a skill in, its, in itself to be able to bat with that kind of that, the, the lower order. Absolutely right, and I think it's you know it is a massive skill, but we didn't really have a tail. We had guys that scored hundreds. You know, there was like Neil Smith, Ashley Giles, Brad Hogg, yep. Tony Frost. You know, so there's 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 four guys that have scored you know lots and lots of um, first class hundreds. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a tail as such. You're always batting with a batter. Yeah. And it, you just had to just get the partnership st- established because it didn't matter. If you got in 4-day cricket or in a one-day game in a run chase, if you got partnership established, it's actually very hard to stop that partnership yeah. from evolving if you've both got the right sort of process. And that was, we all, we all sort of prided ourselves in, in getting, you know, like taking the game from a difficult position and, and taking it to the next stage of the game. And that was kind of how we had been coached, you know, Bob and Dermot particularly, but then John Inverarity as well, who was coaching a different skill set. And it was, it was very much about just the game can change at any stage. You just have to want the game to change. And you yeah. need to have the skills and, and the understanding that what needs to happen to change the game. And that, as soon as you start to actually be quite smart about how you play the game, the game becomes much clearer and much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, it is actually quite a simple game. But we, we're the ones that make it really complicated by thinking too much about what might be the case and just actually sticking to what is the case and mm-hmm. dealing with what you've got in front of you. Mm-hmm. Interesting, very interesting. You know, great career. Um, it stemmed over 10 years at Warwickshire, um, which ended with you coming away with um, 12 and a half, around 12,500 runs across first-class cricket and list A cricket for Warwickshire and 850 wickets. 
I mean, that is it's incredible, incredible numbers, Dougie. I mean, it's the consistency that's very impressive the most that you can do it over that long period of time. What was the, you know, for, for a young for a youngster wanting to come in and play county cricket for 10 years, especially an all-rounder, which is, you know, it's hard work on the body, not much not much rest, not much rest in between. What's, what's, what's your advice to an all-rounder coming in? Um, you've got to be prepared to accept failure. You've got to be pre prepared to work really hard. Um, you've got to be open-minded. Um, but you've got to be willing to learn. And, and probably finally, you've got to be at ease being what you are, mm -hmm. understanding that you don't have to be bowling at the same pace as Alan Donald because we've all got optimum pace. Mm -hmm. um, if you bowl, you know, 8Ks an hour over that, you're maybe not quite as effective. Mm -hmm. See, we need to understand what our limitations are, what we can and can't do. If you can't do it, don't do it until you've practiced it and, and work on that. Um, let somebody else do it. If, if they're good at it and you're not, let them do it. Mm -hmm. And understand that you can, you can get to that point by being quite smart about what you do. But I think you've got to be prepared to work hard because if you don't, you'll never give yourself that chance because people are looking for you. They're looking for workers. They're looking for people that they want to pick in the team. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you're selectable, you give yourself a really good opportunity to, to, to do well in the game just by giving yourself a bit of longevity and learning on the job, so to speak. Mm -hmm. No, fantastic. Fantastic. So we'll move away from your, your, your county, county career. I mean, fantastic. I mean, that's, that's what I know you of, Dougie Brown. Um, you know, the, the curly hair, which you still got a little bit going on top. That lovely flowing curly hair. I always just remember watching Warwickshire um, and, and, and knew your face very well from a young age. 1997, the year that we, we mentioned that you had a fantastic year, um, you got selected to play ODI cricket for England um, out in Sharjah in a Four Nations and uh, a Four Nations Champions Trophy. What a proud moment, you know. That you must have been thinking you were near and nearabouts the fact that you were having such a, a golden season. Uh, yeah, I knew it was. Um, and <laughs> until you get picked, you don't really know if you are going to get selected and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, playing for England was something that I really wanted to do. And, and you know, there'd be people listening thinking, well, why didn't you want to play for Scotland? It wasn't about not wanting to play for Scotland. It was the fact that I wanted to play at the highest level of cricket I could. And at that stage, cr cricket in Scotland at, at the top end of the game wasn't an option because they, they weren't playing at that. They are now, but they, at that stage they didn't. And, you know, I was doing well enough. I knew that I was close to, to England selection and, you know, to get the nod to go and, and play in Sharjah was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess I, the one disappointment I probably did have was I didn't get picked to play or to go on the, the, the test tour of the, of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. I followed that because um, I, I knew I was close to that. Um, and probably, in many ways, my game probably lent itself better to test cricket at that stage, which, strangely enough... Um, mm -hmm. But to get picked to play in Sharjah was amazing. And to go out there and, and to have a, an influence on performance of the team and for us to come away having won the tournament. And I know that, you know, I scored some important runs in that series and I also mm. took some really important wickets. Well, yeah, was, you, did, you, did take, you did take some very important wickets. I mean, your first game, you were, you, it was just a steady, steady start. Um, it was the second, second game of the against the West Indies that you really announced yourself in the first ball of the game moved uh, a certain Philo Willis, which is a great wicket to get. 
for then you, you, you must have been uh, you must be really buzzing because you went on to get old teammate and probably best batter in the world at that time, Brian Lara. What what and, and you know by all accounts are pretty much set up. If you get the main man out early doors, you know that's that's you well and well on the way mm. to to winning the match. So tell me about that game. So yeah, so the, my debut against India was uh, like obviously you, you're making your debut, you're slightly nervous, but you know you're actually doing okay. So you kind of you've earned the right to be at that level and um, open the bowling. Sachin, you know, he's a pretty good player. Let's be honest. Yeah, I know that. Um, you know, so all these mega stars that you, we all we can all you know, can all list. Um, it went okay. I, I bowled okay. I didn't dig any wickets, and um, we won the game, a really close game, which was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Next game, I actually had br- a breakfast with Brian at the hotel because all the teams were staying in the same hotel. So I had breakfast with him in the morning yeah. of the West Indies game. So really early and we we're just chatting, having our scrambled eggs and that sort of stuff. And yeah. Yeah, so I got a wicket first. Well, we had to wait for the start of the game that, that the broadcasters, well, it was a 2.30 start or something like that. We were bowling first mm-hmm. and um, it was delayed. So I was bowling the first over. Dean Headley was bowling the second over. I was bowling mm-hmm. into a bit of a win. Dean was coming with the wind and um, that was kind of the, the way that we had done it and um, I wait so we had to wait for three or four minutes and then I, I run in first ball and I just nip one back to Fuller Wallace who's quite an aggressive player very dangerous player and yep. knocked off stump out which is great yeah um, next obviously Brian comes in batting at number three and um, we'd been sort of chatting about cricket and stuff in the morning first ball it just nipped away from him he played and missed and next ball, it swung back and hit him in front. So they were they were none for two after three balls, which wow. was you know with That's regards not, to. Let's be honest, you've, you've set you've set the game up there, Dougie. For you, you can yeah. dictate the game from there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you get rid of Brian, and that's that's a massive. But you know, there's some pretty good players to come. You know, Carl Hooper was <laughs> the next, and you know there was a there was a whole bunch of really good players as well. But you think when you've got a world class player like Brian out, then it does make the the game a little bit easier for yourself. But for me, it was more about, you know, I, I wanted us to win. Like, I, didn't, I didn't really sort of probably at the time understand the significance of getting early wickets like that. I really didn't. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I just wanted us to win the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, anything that I could do to, to influence the game in a positive way was, was going to be beneficial to the team. And that was, that was what it was. I didn't, honestly, I didn't actually think about my own performance until probably... Uh, probably years after yeah. when you actually think I, I actually did okay there you know yeah. um, but at the time it was like no we just, let, let's just win the game and we go into the next game type thing and that was that was kind of what we all thought and, and I think as a team I, I go back to team environments Warwickshire 94-95 was an amazing team environment that England team where we had these bits and pieces bits and pieces cricketers mm-hmm. you know full of all-rounders who were actually really good players in, in their own you know, in their own discipline. Um, you know, Please tell some of the names. Would that be the likes of like an Adam Holyoke type? So he was captain. Adam was yeah. His brother was in the side. You know, Ben yeah. was there. Um, Ashley Giles, Robert Croft. But then, you know, Nick Knight, Ali Brown, Graham Hick, Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe. Some pretty good players. You know, Dean Headley. Um, then you've got Matthew Fleming, Mark Elam, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Martin. So that, there's a whole bunch of guys that are just really, really good players yeah. um, and a whole bunch of guys who are b- bits and pieces, but, mm-hmm. but actually were better than that. Yeah. But what the, what the, the bits and pieces, the bits that you didn't see were the bits they brought to the team. 
just amazing team people. And actually, for me, playing in a team is more than just your skills. It's about what you bring to that environment. It's almost like the, your, hidden, your hidden stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that nobody else sees. They can see your stats, but they don't know what you do in that environment to make it a, a buoyant environment. And I think at that level, or at any level really, these sort of players are worth the weight in gold mm-hmm. because it's, they're greater than just what the skills are. And that's kind of what we had. And we had it at Warwickshire. That England team definitely had it. Um, and it's a shame that that England team didn't really get a chance to, to evolve beyond the next series. We went to the Caribbean after that and we lost 4-1. We could quite easily have won the series 4-1. Yeah. And then we'd have gone to the next series against South Africa in the, U- in the UK mm-hmm. with the same team. As it was, it all got disbanded and they went a different way. And that's, that's a disappointment because I know that that team would have been successful um, if they had been given a bit more sort of continuity with the with the selection. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that the, the England career was pretty short, was short, was short lived. Dougie, um, obviously, great. You know, you got to play for you got to play for England, and you, you you did some you did some phenomenal things in the pitch. I'm sure you would have wanted to go on and, and play, but listen, the, the, these things happen. You you then probably do you miss out in a, 90, a 99 World Cup with Scotland because of that. Yeah, so after I played for England, I had to wait for four years yeah. to, to re-qualify for, um, for Scotland. So in 99, I was, I was a reserve for, the, for England, the 99 World yeah. Cup. I was, I was, you know, a bit disappointed that I, I got left out of that squad. But I understand that's, that's professional sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, playing for Scotland wasn't an option because I had to wait for four years. And mm-hmm. I just got my head down, got into county cricket and started to just do as well as I could, could for Warwickshire. Um, if England came and, you know, and I got sighted, then, then great, you know, but I didn't. So actually I had to wait the four years. Um, and then coming back into the Scotland fold, it wasn't, uh, I remember I was actually being um, down in, I can't, where was it? It was some Campbelltown or something like that, at mm-hmm. a friend's wedding. And um, Jim Love knew that uh, I was at the wedding. He had been in touch and he wanted to meet with me because mm-hmm. my four-year period was just about up mm-hmm. and there was cricket coming up and uh, he wanted to sort of sign me out as to whether I, you know, where I was at with regards to playing for Scotland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I met with Jim and I, I've got to say that Jim was a, a, a great man. I think he was probably one of the people that definitely started the, the journey that Scotland are on at the moment. You know, he, yeah. he had that foresight along with many others, but, I think as a coach, you need to have that foresight and, and look beyond your own, your own tenure mm-hmm. to think, well, actually, I'm going to put stuff in place that will outlast me, but I know that somebody else will really benefit from it. And I think, you know, Jim deserves a lot of credit for what he did by, by really sort of embracing that type of longevity and that sort of longer process and, mm-hmm. and looking at people that maybe otherwise wouldn't be selected. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming back, to, back into environments, et cetera. Um, so I met with Jim and, and then, you know, I, I'd, I'd served my four years and then I started to play for Scotland again. It's interesting now, it's now only two years. So if I'd played, you know, now I'd, I'd have to wait two years, but mm-hmm. it was four then. I mean, it's interesting because there's two big players in particular um, with Scottish cricket that I've now had on the podcast and one is obviously Gavin Hamilton, one's yourself. Gavin Hamilton could have got selected for England for that 99 World Cup. He was close. Um, we might have lost out in having Gav 
um, and unfortunately we lost out and being able to select yourself because of the you know selection criteria and, and, the, and the amount of years you had to serve. So it would have been it would have been nice to have both of you in that World Cup side. But look, th these things happen. Thankfully, we had you back right in amongst it again for the 2005 um, ICC Trophy out in Ireland. Um, great great tournament for Scotland. You personally, you took 11 wickets in the tournament and you scored a pivotal 59 in the final to beat to beat Ireland. Tell me about your experience of being away with that squad and you know your memories of that. Um. Okay, so I, I came from Warwickshire at that time, and it was, it was quite a big thing to do, to, to leave the summer playing domestic cricket in, in England with yep. your county. To go, oh, I, was, I, was, you know, I was still playing good cricket and, you know, integral part of the Warwickshire side. Um, and it was probably quite a big thing because it didn't really happen before. You leave to go and play for an associate nation mm -hmm. um, in a World Cup qualifier, but I, I did, and it was like... And, and I went and joined them. I remember I... I I flew over in the morning, so really, because we'd finished the game the day before and I could only get flights out. We were playing in Belfast and mm -hmm. I, I got there, in, I think I got there in, in the morning and we were playing against Canada. Yeah. Um, and so they had played, Scotland had played a couple of games before that. Um, and so I'm coming in as a bit of a, I obviously, I knew all the players, but I was still coming you're a big time, time doggy, man. You're one of the big boys. But the thing is, you come into an environment, you're still an outsider because then it doesn't matter how big you are, you're still going to fit into that environment. Understand yeah. how, that, how that environment works, you know, you know, how the whole thing fits together. And that's, for me, that is what being a team is about, understanding where you fit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how good a player you are, how, what you've done before, you need to find what you do in that, in that environment and understand you know, are the things that people are not so good at that you might be able to do and vice versa and, and, and just work out how the whole sort of thing works. Mm -hmm. For me, that's really important. So you still come in as a bit, a bit of a nervy outsider because yeah. they've played a couple of games, you know, they're sort of entrenched in, in the tournament. They've had preparation before it and you just come in and you get selected straight away and somebody gets left out because you're playing. Yeah. So there's that whole dynamic to, so you, you better think, well, I better do well here because... I'm letting the person who's not been picked, I'm, I'm letting him down. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that, that people don't even think about. Mm -hmm. So I came into that environment, but looking back at that, it was, honestly, it was one of the best periods. That was a, that was a really, really, really good Scotland team. Yeah, really good Scotland team. Yeah. Like, and you could go through one to, one to 15, yeah. and you could have picked anybody in any role and they would have done really, really well. One of my teammates, one of my club teammates would have been in that side, Greg, Greg Williams. Greg would have been out there. Greg was there, yeah. He was there. I think Greg, Greg might have been the one that got left out I for me to thinking, play the game. I, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Greg, the poor guy, would have, because he was a big, you know, all-rounder, and probably yeah. you coming in, meant he had, yeah. to, he, had to, he had to take the bench. Great, great player in his own right. Craig Wright, you know, Ryan Watson was in his full, full prime at that point. And yeah, then, Gav, was there was Blaney. Blaney. Yeah. Yeah, Fraggle, you know, Fraser Watts, yep. Colin Smith. Like, you can go through. You can go through 1 to 15. I think a young Kyle Kutzer might have been on that trip as well. Yeah, you go, you go through go through that whole team. There was not a weak link in that team. They were, they were amazing. Um, really good side. And, and, and actually, all the way through that tournament, we just got better and better and better. Um, you know, Mola was coach, uh, which is great. You know, Andy, to, to, to be one through my Warwickshire days, you know, to be there at the end, 
to be singing Flower of Scotland in the in the dressing room after beating Ireland yeah. was one of the things I'll never forget because it was yeah. it was unbelievable. It, it really was phenomenal. Yeah. And um it was a like a passion and um something that I hadn't experienced that sort of level of I'd experienced winning and, and being happy and jubilant and stuff like that. I'd, I'd never really experienced that, you know, that level of passion because Scottish people are quite passionate people, yeah. particularly when it comes to Scotland, you know, that, um, and that was just phenomenal. I just, I was absolutely blown away by, by what we did, but I was more blown away by how we played a cricket. It was, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, just when we got into a bit of, bit of strife, somebody would pull it out of the bag and, somebody put in a spell whether it was with bat and ball or in the field or whatever mm-hmm. and it was just really good it was just awesome to be part of and then you know playing in the final as well i know we won the game relatively comfortably in the end but it was really it was really close you know i mean just to name a few you're coming up against the proper players in the opposition as well i mean the, the opposition were ed joyce would have been playing Owen, yeah. a, young, a young Owen morgan coming yeah. in i think uh, paul hoffman bowled a great spell of bowling in that game um, yeah. You know, it was a it was a proper box office final there between two teams that were probably potentially both tipped to could potentially win the tournament and to do it on Irish soil must have mm. been great feeling. Like you're saying, awesome. the change room was buzzing. Yeah, it was incredible. I, I mean, I knew we obviously knew that going into that final, we both qualified for the World Cup, but it wasn't about that. It was about winning the tournament, and I think we, you know, from the moment that the team left Scotland to go there, it was about that. It was about winning the tournament. And, and actually, that was what it had to be. It was, you come up against Ireland, probably two, the two strongest teams in the tournament at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to final and you, you're on their home soil and there's a big partisan crowd at Clontarf. You yeah. know, it was a, an amazing day again, weather-wise. Yeah. Um, so it was a massive crowd. And to actually... To go out there and for the game to be in the balance for as long as it was, them chasing a massive total, uh, Ed Joyce going really strong, mm-hmm. and and to get out on top was was just amazing. Um, you know, qualifying for a World Cup is is right up there with anybody, and getting the opportunity to to qualify for a World Cup for somebody for for players who don't always get that chance yeah. it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to play in a World Cup is fantastic, but actually. The qualification for it, in many ways, actually, is bigger than the the tournament itself. Yeah. Because you know what you know what you've got to lose. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you get yourself across the line, it's it's unreal. You're going to World Cup. If you just stumble, then you know it's like what could have been, and you miss it, and all that Absolutely. sort of stuff that comes with it. I mean, I had the same experience, Dougie, in under 19s playing against Ireland. Whoever wins, winner takes all, goes to New Zealand for the under 19 World Cup, and we got over the line that 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 time, and you know. Well, you know, I don't. So I know for you did it in the national team, but I didn't do yeah. it in the nineteens. It's it's everything to you, absolutely. Everything. Those Scottish and Irish players, um, so it's awesome that you got to be part of that. Unfortunately, though, I had John Mooney on a bit earlier in the in in, this, in one of the seasons, and he he said it was a bit unfortunate for you boys because you then went on to the two thousand seven World Cup and got mm-hmm. South Africa, Australia in the group, and you know they got slightly you wouldn't say you know easier than the group we had. Um, they yeah. played in Pakistan, Zimbabwe. Um, you know, there's a big difference between the teams that we came up against. Um, <laughs> but yeah, talk to me about the, the, the 2007 World Cup. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. You know, I, I think, so I'd, I'd coached Namibia in 2003 and then went back in 2007 as a player. I yeah. think I'm, I That's think weird, I'm the only person. That's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, 
but it was again it was just a, an amazing experience pretty much with the same bunch of players that had got us to that point mm-hmm. um there was a couple of uh, you know a couple of younger players that had come into that environment etc cetera, etc cetera. but in essence it was the same squad of players um you know you've got all to do you know you, you're playing against scotland and uh, you're, you're playing against australia and um south africa who are probably the two strongest teams probably the two strongest teams in the, in the competition at the time yeah, yeah. um They've got pace, they've got hostility. Um, you know, we, we're up against Australia and, and there's, there's guys rolling like 159 k's an hour. Yeah, Tate, uh, they had Boyd Tate at that point. It was just... Uh, and Colin Smith, I'm at the non-striker, Colin Smith's running at him, hitting him over his head. I'm like, what are you doing? That was a great... Yeah, no, he, he, he found a way to just... I mean, Floppy's got a weird, weird technique. He knows what he's doing with it. I think he, he kind of... Back to, he was moving inside it a little bit that day. Oh, he, yeah. He played him really smart. He did. He, did. he played it really well. But what he forgot is that the guys at the end had to face him as well. And he's just hit him over his head before. So yeah. he's not going to like, he's not going to like, oh, I'll tell you what, it wasn't you that did it. I'm going to just ease up on you. I'll go away for him. Like, <laughs> it was rapid. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a phenomenal experience. The biggest regret I've got was it's not losing to Australia and to, um, and to um, South Africa. It's the fact that when we played against the Netherlands, and which in effect yeah. was our group stage final, yeah. we, we ended up batting on a, on a wicket that was tacky and went, went sideways. Yeah. And it ended up being a, a really one-sided event. And it, wasn't, and it wasn't, that's not how the tournament should have been. Yeah. You know, um, uh, if I, th- I actually think we won the toss as well and batted first on that wicket, yeah, yeah. but it just it sort of it made it like really unbalanced and it was a bit unfair on on us what we had achieved to actually come away from that tournament having played some pretty good cricket in the build up to it and during the tournament and actually come away getting shot out for 130 or whatever it was um, and for them to win by seven wickets was a it was it was a bit unfair because we were we were better than that and and there was never that much of a divide. It would have been great to have won a game in a World Cup, mm-hmm. um, and because I think that would have probably give everybody a little bit, a, a lot of momentum, coming back to the UK and then and then accelerating again from that point. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it was I have to say watching from the outside had high hopes uh, when we went out there. Good good core of players that went out there. Just you know you, you can't really complain when you come up against two best teams in the world. But yeah, the Dutch game was and yeah, strange strange the toss. I remember that we we, we should have uh, we should have had a trundle that day. The next World Cup, T20 World Cup, is where I, I, I came and joined you in a changing room, Dougie. My first experience of uh, kind of meeting you in person. Um, I got picked in a 15-man squad to go out to South Africa for the T20 World Cup. Um, and it was, uh, I, remember, I remember it well, coming into the, coming into the kind of changing room. First, we arrived there, we were training at Centurion or something like that. We'd gone for a, gone for a training session. And, you know, I, I, I think... I. I'm one of them. I'm not shy. I like to get around the guys that I know are a bit, big player. I knew, knew, knew of you playing your county cricket for many years and I kind of came up and probably nattered your brain a wee bit early, early doors. Do you, do, do you remember that? I do. You didn't, you didn't shut up. I was like, <laughs> who's this guy? No, 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 not at all. I do, I do remember, actually. I do. Um, again, it was, an, it was another um, great experience. Anytime you get a chance to play in a World Cup, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, what, what were your recollections of that? And you must be, it must be right up there one of the best things you've done. Like to, to arrive there and, the, and be, you know, I looked up to a lot of the players in that team. I watched Gavin Hamilton at the 1990 World Cup as a little kid. 
you know, make 70 odd against Pakistan at Chesley Street, and I was just like in awe of him. So to be on tour with him now, going mm-hmm. to a World Cup, you know, Blaney, yourself, um, Watson, Wright, all these guys that you know, I'd kind of aspired to get into that into that mix. Um, amazing feeling, amazing feeling. Uh, we played a couple of warm-up games. Um, I still have a little bit of a, a sour grape of, over it because we were told in the in the warm-up games that whoever performed well, it didn't matter who you were, you were going to play the game. Play. I had a good performance against Zimbabwe um, yeah. in one of the warm-up games. Unfortunately, it didn't get me picked for the Pakistan game. Um, I tell this story all the time, Dougie, so you're going to have to hear it as well. But no, just, just to be there and be part of all of that and be you know, Pakistan and India in our group for a young boy coming from an Asian background, you know, just just a special, special feeling. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, from, from your point of view, I think you played against Pakistan, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and then um, India, obviously, we we tossed up, and it came down to five over game, and uh, we won the toss my bowling on in yeah. really juicy conditions. That you probably remember um, yeah. but the the game, and then it rained again, and the game was off. But and Pakistan, I was I was really kind of gutted after the Pakistan game because we could have won that. Yeah, we could have won that. Yeah, and I didn't bowl very well, if I'm if I'm honest, and that was disappointing. Um, but we could have won that. We could have yeah. won that. You know, I think we we didn't play very smart um, mm-hmm. as a team. I didn't play very smart individually, which is disappointing because you're an experienced player. And but that's the game. You know, you, you sometimes you you just got to live and die by the decisions you make. And I, I made sort of some bad ones with a ball, and um, and that's what happens. But you know. Again, that was a good team that went away, and I actually thought that we we could have done pretty well in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I'd love to play against India in a five over game because you know to be fair, it doesn't matter anything like, can happen. Like you're in India when we were at yeah. Kingsbury, it's like you're in India. I mean, the, the, the whole place is there's such an Indian community there. There was a yeah. full house. It was ready to ready to go off, but the rain just it was that horrible Durban drizzle. I know. Well, it's like it's like what you see in Glasgow every every third day, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it's all right for you to say sitting over there and uh, sitting over there in Dubai, probably in a lovely air conditioned house there, boiling outside. Um, yeah. It's uh, it was a frustrating night. It was a frustrating night. Um, actually, I've recorded um, and it's been out already with Siri Sant, um, and he 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 was gutted. He, you know, he wanted to play against Scotland that night. He said it was, mm. he was it was a shame for you guys. He said because you were still in the mix. Potentially, yeah. you, you could have caused a little... I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't going to take much to maybe get no. us through. No, not at all. I mean, India had an amazing team as well. They're, they're full of all the world's best players. You know, Dhoni, you know, oh, Habajan, you name it. They were, all, they were all playing. But I actually think we could have turned them over because in a five-over game, it doesn't really take much. One person could have one good over and that changes the whole tempo of the game. Um, yeah. And we could have done it, having won a toss and both for The condition certainly suited us better than it suited, suited them. We're more used to playing in the wet conditions. Definitely. No, for sure. Uh, but, you know, again, we can, we can talk about what might have been. It didn't, we didn't get the chance to, uh, to, to run through and, and play the game. But again, you know, that's, that's another phenomenal experience for me. And, you know, somebody has, has played quite a lot of cricket. I still, I still like, look back to these occasions, like the, the World Cup, the, the whole experience of the World Cup, Mm-hmm. the whole experience of the 2007 um, 50-over World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I go back and I think, actually, that is just amazing. It's, they're, they're amazing experiences that I was so lucky to, to be part of. I know, you know, you experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. When you partner in training, you don't actually quite appreciate what you're part of. After. It's, it's only after. after the event. Then you understand just the magnitude of what you're doing. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely one I'll be hopefully getting to tell the grandkids one day that, you know, once upon a time I went to, went to a T20 World Cup. The two teams, funny that we, we just on that, we'll close the subject on that one. They went on to contest the final, um, okay. a very close final that uh, Pakistan just kind of bottled just at the very end. So it just yeah. shows you, I mean, we were, in a, we were in a proper group there, but really, genuinely, and I, we, could have, we could have came out of that group if some things had went our way. Um, you spoke very honestly about, about things and, and, and maybe it just didn't come out as well as you would have wanted it to that yeah. day. But no, we were in. We played. We, we had a good had a good unit out there. You come back from there, Dougie, and you know soon after that, unfortunately, probably a, a, a sad night or evening. You you were uh, you, you tore your Achilles tendon playing for Warwickshire, mm-hmm. um, and that was pretty much the the playing days. You know, no more mm-hmm. was going to be the case that you were going to go into a coaching role and then a playing role. You know, mm-hmm. that pretty much decided that the the playing days were coming to an end. How was how was that for you? Um, it was kind of frustrating, obviously. You know, you've played a lot of cricket for Warwickshire and that sort of stuff. And um, the, all the games that you have played, I remember playing, we were playing against North Ants in a, in a televised game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a T20 game. And yeah. I, I hadn't bowled, but I'd, I'd run around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd batted as well. I'd batted and we'd, I'd, I'd gotten, I scored, I remember, I scored 19 not out of yeah. 10, 10 balls mm-hmm. without hitting a boundary. So we'd scampered you know, at the back end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my Achilles was feeling a bit stiff. And I was like, oh, that's fine. And I was mic'd up as well because you're, you're on Sky and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just set off the field one. I was at at square leg. And I went off to, to get one because there was a run-out chance. And my, I just felt like somebody had hit me with a stick. Oof. I was like, oh. and you, you automatically look around to think, what was that? Yeah. And then you realize you, you, can't actually, you can't actually move your leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and the frustrating thing is that all the games you've played, you know, I don't know how many games I've played for Warwickshire, but it's running into hundreds. Mm-hmm. The, the way that it finishes, the last game that you play is a game that you end up getting stretches off. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, there are many ways that you'd like to finish your career, but you that's not the way you want to finish it. And you say, you know, thank you. But, uh, you might yeah. play a few more games as well. You would obviously still, still, do, still do a job for the team, but unfortunately well, I, it was a painful yeah. Painful walk off, carry off. It was, you know, I, I had a chance after that. I, I definitely um, there was an opportunity for me to play elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, and it just wasn't right for for me and the family and all that sort of stuff at that stage. And it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm actually going to get into coaching because I realised that if I got into coaching, then it probably, you know, I could have gone and played somewhere else for a couple of years and then missed out on the opportunity to to develop myself as a coach and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, I, I got a chance to coach at Warwickshire thereafter. And, um, you know, I'm glad I, uh, it, it's like retiring is something that's quite hard because yeah, you know, know once, you, once you finish, yeah, you're, yeah. Not coming, you're not coming back again. Yeah. Um, so it's not an easy decision to make, but for me, this was actually quite easy. It was like, okay, I've, I've played quite a lot of cricket. Um, you know, I want to sort of challenge myself in a different way. Uh, and I know that the way to challenge it is by by coaching. Um, I was just kind of a little bit gutted that my career ended in a way that I didn't get a chance to kind of walk off and say thanks to everybody yeah, for yeah. supporting me throughout my career. You end up being stretched off, and it's like you're straight to the hospital for an operation on Achilles, you know. But that's that's you know that's, that's part of your game. story, Dougie. That's part of your story. That's just the way. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's written. Yeah. you got to you know you're, you're blessed. You know. A lot of people then pretty much that's the end of it for them. There might not be a transition into coaching. You had a great 
you know, already you had something in your CV as well. You'd coached a, an international team going to the World Cup. Um, and you took a nice transition into the taking the Warwickshire coach, a role coaching at Warwickshire. I remember coming down actually to play um, play an A team game against mm-hmm. you. But I can't remember what the place was called. It was a lovely kind of it was rugby, rugby school. That's right, that's right. Um, and it really annoyed me actually because I went into your changing room afterwards and there was a little note on the wall and you had had my name and you went, he's a bit soft, get stuck into him. And I was like, what? Dougie said, I'm soft. <laughs> like, I, I, I was affronted by that. You could have yeah. said, he doesn't move his feet early on. He <laughs> that. But when you call yeah. me, you call a boy from Glasgow soft. I was like, oh, where, where's Dougie Brown? I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. The thing is, the thing is, the, the majority of things that you write are there. It's it's actually more to just to give your team a little bit of a focus. Yeah. So actually, so it's not even about whether you are or you're not. Yeah. The technical stuff, yeah. The the psychological, mental stuff. It's not actually. It's not. It doesn't mean anything. All it does mean is it actually gives your team a bit of a focus. Mm-hmm. And actually, sometimes you would do that with um, with players you know are completely not that way. Yeah. Just to just to make sure that there is a battle on, and mm-hmm. that they don't people don't lose their focus mm-hmm. when they're up against somebody who who might be quite strong mentally. Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't please don't take it you personally. Me, Dougie, you were letting them know that they're in for a dog fight when they come out. Okay, that's all right. I, I was all exactly. I'm all, Always we need to talk, to talk to you about this. We've done it on camera, but I'm, we're all good. We're all good. I've so, clawed my way back there. Are, are you my friend still? I'm still your friend, Dougie. I'm still your friend. Um, you had a great, you know, you went into, you went on to do amazing things with Warwickshire as a, as a coach, and particularly, um, you won two trophies as a coach there. Uh, one of the, one of them came in 2014 on the T20 Blast. What an achievement! Yeah, I'm really proud of that because that is something that we had never done. We played. I played in the first. T20 final in 2003 against Surrey um, and Warwickshire had never been to finals day since 2003 so mm-hmm. 2014 was our first finals day so it's actually 12 seasons mm-hmm. um, and to get there and to you know to do it at Edgebaston was a remarkable achievement um, we had struggled through the group stages and it's always the way 2020 it's never the team that bombs the first group stages and wins every game and goes into quarterfinals. It's never that team that wins a tournament. It's always a team that kind of struggles a little bit, but comes into uh, a style of play. And, and because you start the tournament thinking that we're going to play this way, this is this is a strategy, blah blah blah. But your strategy develops because you learn from games that you didn't win, um, and it develops over time. And then all of a sudden, people have got nothing to lose. So we were at a stage whereby we had to win the last three games, and um, games had to go for us elsewhere. And it did. And we only qualified because I can't even remember who it was, but I, I, uh, one team beat another team that was not expected. And we qualified in through the back door. So we actually realized we had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And that actually makes you a really, a, a really sort of challenging foe because you know you've got nothing to lose. So it doesn't matter yeah. what stage the game's at, you're just going to give it a proper crack. Uh, and that's what we did. And we came with a really good game and we played a brilliant finals day. Uh, you know, we won the first game. We won and beat Lancashire in the final, which was phenomenal. Doing it in front of your, if there is a home, um, a home crowd, mm-hmm. uh, to do it on your home ground certainly was something yep. very, very special. But the the biggest thing for me that year was the fact that, um, and and probably a lot of people forget this, that we actually we won that. We were runners up to Durham in the the fifty over competition at Lords. Uh, we lost mm-hmm. really narrowly. Ben Stokes had a, had a decent day uh, mm-hmm. and we lost by three wickets. And we were runners up in the championship that year as well. So 
of the three tournaments where winners, runners-up, runners-up. And that was actually something I was really proud of because, you know, most teams will talk at the start of the year about identifying one of the tournaments and, and actually going for that tournament. Warwickshire, in my time and before that, always said, we look to try and win everything. And actually, it, it doesn't normally pan out that way, but I've been pretty lucky to be part of teams that have pretty much won everything yep. twice. And then... 2014 as a coach, we, we were winners, runners up, runners up, and that's that's as close as you'll really get to, you know, to you're doing what you've done back in '94 as a, as like, a, as a player. And, uh, yeah, and then '95 as well. You know, we, we won two trophies and we were runners up in the third one of the four. So you know, it's yeah. it's it's great to be part of that. And when you when you're competing across all three fronts, it is just incredible as a club, and it's an incredible feeling that to try and put it into words actually underplays everything because you can't put it into words because it would take a million words to actually and even then you probably wouldn't quite get it you just it's a feel yeah. you just know what it feels like to be to be competing across all, all fronts and you just mm -hmm. know what people do you can second guess what people are going to do before they actually do it and that's for me that is what playing sport is about it's about just knowing you know just knowing your team and knowing what might happen uh, and and it's very special, very very special. No quality. Two thousand. You go on again. You win another trophy. Two thousand and sixteen, the Royal London Cup, which is more of a yeah. more of a one day part, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, again, uh, beating Surrey in the final. Surrey had all the all the superstars out, um, and we went in there probably not as a favourites. Although, look, don't get me wrong, we had some pretty good players in that that team. You know, Bell, Trot, Wokes, there's three. Yeah. Um, Jeetan Patel, four. And some other mm -hmm. like really really good players, mm -hmm. but you know we still went in there as the, the underdogs, and we went there and we we just played a great game. Trotty batted brilliantly. We bowled incredibly well, um, and you know I think that was a that was a a really really good team performance. Um, yeah, really really proud of both these wins. I think it, it's easy to look back and say, well, anything you win, I'm really proud of. But mm -hmm. I was really proud of how we won the. 2014 um, T20 Blast because we came from behind the pack and I think the Royal London 2016 we did exactly the same thing again mm -hmm. kind of stumbled through the group stages came onto a game and then by the time we got to the final we actually knew that we we would have to play really badly if we weren't going to get across the line even if someone like Jason Roy had his day because we we just knew that we were playing really good cricket and we trusted what we were about Brilliant do you think Warwickshire just had enough of you at that point, Dougie? Because surprisingly, <laughs> <Well>, <laughs> I mean, ten-year career, that way. <laughs> a, good, a good, a good, lengthy coaching career. I mean, you you seem, seemed to be going from strength to strength, and then it was obviously you were you, you were let go. You know, was that was a bit, a bit of a surprise looking looking in from the outside? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously at the time you you're kind of disappointed, you're gutted. It's like you're a bit angry and all that sort of stuff. But that's the game, you know. It's like it doesn't matter what you think when somebody makes a decision as to what direction the, the, the team or the club are going then you just have to, to abide by that decision and accept it and there's two ways you go from there you either fight it and, and are bitter and twisted about it or you accept it and you move on to the next challenge mm -hmm. and that's what, kind of what I did you know it takes a couple of weeks before you can get your head around the fact that you know your, your ego's been dented maybe a little bit. You've been, especially having won a, won a trophy and having done pretty well over the last sort of two or three years. Um, that's disappointing. But then, you know, you clear the slate and you think, okay, fine, there are worse things in the world and you go on to the next thing. And that's, 
kind of what professional sports about. You know that if you are head coach of somewhere, you know that you're the first person that's going to be on the chopping block if it doesn't go brilliantly well. And nowadays, it needs to go really, really well for you to keep your job mm-hmm. because people just think it's, it's turning a little bit more into football type merry-go-rounds. You know, you don't win a, don't win a trophy, you go. You know, somebody else comes in. And that's kind of what is, that's kind of the mentality I think that, that cricket has got itself into. Don't get me wrong, you know, the, the, the guy that replaced me was a, he's a, a top bloke, you know, he's, he was my best man. I was his best man. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Ashley Giles came back and, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have any problems with that at all. And, and Warwickshire probably right to go for somebody that actually he only left because he went to England. So yeah. when I got the job in the first place, it was quite an unusual circumstance. Mm-hmm. Usually it's because somebody's not doing so well. Mine was it was a really buoyant environment, but the coach was going to, to an England environment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, actually, I'm really thankful looking back that I got the opportunity to, to look further afield mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually getting the opportunity to spread my wings as a coach and, and coach in a very different way in a completely different environment. Um, and, and although I've sort of been involved in a very sort of diverse environment at Warwickshire, been in the Midlands, you know, multicultural. Mm-hmm. Coming to the UAE was absolutely astounding, really, where you're coming into, you know, a completely um, Asian environment where yeah. you had to find a different way to coach. And, and, and you'll know coming from that sort of background mm-hmm. that, that it's a different style of coaching. The coach is revered. The coach is like the, it's like the dad. Yeah. It's like the grandfather. And they're put, you're put on such a pedestal and it's like, tell me, tell me. I'm yeah. like, guys, like, I, you need to learn, you know. I, yeah. I, want you to be an, I want you to be an independent thinker. I want you to make your own decisions mm-hmm. when you're out in the middle. I can't make your decisions. I can't tell you what shot to play or what. But that's, that's kind of how the, the mentality was. And, that, and it took a long time to break the back of it. And it's a very different way of coaching. But actually, I mm-hmm. think it's, been, it's enhanced my coaching no end because you get an, an awesome experience to, to understand a different culture to understand a different way of coaching and, and actually to broaden your own horizons. No, it's quality. I mean, you, you, you touched on um, earlier on, you know, where your family settled there and the fact that your kids are getting a really kind of diverse upbringing or you're saying you're, what are your little ones learning about Arabic and stuff like that. I mean, that's, 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 really, that's really impressive. And, you know, you see yourself, uh, you don't, you know, I know there's something, you do a job, sorry, in the World Cup, as well. You've now coached at two World Cup, Dougie. You know, maybe a first and then recently, more recent times, UAE. Didn't go so mm-hmm. well, but it had a bit to do with um, the fact that there was some selection issues and stuff that went on with the team. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't so much selection. It was the fact that we, uh, we had we gone to the, the, the World Cup qualifiers as the highest ranked team. And you're talking about T20 World Cup? Yes. We're going there as the highest ranked team. In the, in the tournament and we've developed everything from, we know exactly roles, you know, specificity, everybody knows a role, uh, the style of play, strategy, et cetera, et cetera. We knew how we were going to play against this team, that team, Scotland, Netherlands, whatever, as and when we came, came up against them. We're in our own backyard and the, the day before the tournament started, we ended up losing three players on 
on corruption charges. Yeah. Now these three players, one's your captain, one's your opening batsman, mm-hmm. and the other one is one of your opening bowlers. So it's like, okay. And then as the tournament progressed, we realized that there was, we lost three more players. Mm-hmm. So you're losing six players of your starting 11, um, which, you know, it's, it's, I know that the investigation is still ongoing. I'm not going to comment on whether they're right or wrong or indifferent, but mm-hmm. as a coach, it was a hell of a challenge because you built your strategy, you built your team, you built everything, you style of play on your personnel. And when you lose more than half of them that you know are going to start in pretty much every game, mm-hmm. then that poses a massive, massive problem for you. Yeah. Um, despite that, we still actually gave ourselves a really good chance. And, you know, to the outside world, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen or, or understood uh, what we were actually going through every day. Yeah. But by the time we came to the last two games, knowing that we had to win one of them against mm-hmm. firstly Netherlands, secondly Scotland, we had taken so many punches. We were just, we had nothing left to give. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what you saw was not what was actually going on. You know, it's mm-hmm. a bit like a swan on top of the water, but underneath, the, you know, there was paddling going on like you wouldn't believe. And we did really well to disguise it and hide it from everybody, but there's only so long you can do that for until you end up running out of steam. And that's exactly what we did. And I suppose ultimately that's, you know, that's sort of cost me my, my job at, at the UAE. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that said, as, dis- as disappointing as it is not to qualify for, for a World Cup, um, you know, I still, I'm incredibly proud when I look back over my three and a half years that I was head coach of the UE. I'm incredibly proud of what we achieved mm-hmm. um, on a number of different fronts. Um, you know, taking the team to places, not, not physical places, but to places in the game that they never thought was possible challenging themselves to, to, to do things that they never thought was possible themselves, getting to our highest ever world ranking in both formats, 50 over and 20, you know, mm-hmm. to get to number 13 in the world is an incredible feat from when I took over, we were like languishing sort of number 20, 21. And mm-hmm. actually to get to that point, to beat a full, full member, um, you know, Zimbabwe in the final game that, that stopped him qualifying for the world cup. So many proud achievements. I honestly, Incredibly proud of what we've achieved. Obviously, disappointing not to finish. A bit like my Warwickshire career as a player. Didn't yeah. disappoint not to finish the way we wanted it to finish. But, yeah. you know, again, that's a game. And you've just got to accept what happens, um, rightly or wrongly. Do you, is there anything on the horizon, coaching-wise? Is it, are we going to see Dougie Brown coaching any of the other? Is there, I mean, you're still a young man in the coaching world. Is there, is there anything maybe on the horizon? I was thinking about playing again. <laughs> what do you reckon? Right, well, like, still looking, I mean, like I said at the start of this, nah, every time no, I no. talk, you're always, doing a, you're always running a fight. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I think... Um, no, I, I, you know, there's plenty on the go at the moment. Um, you know, I would never rule anything out, but um, you know, there's, there's some exciting things on the horizon. And um, you know, uh, on the next sort of two or three weeks, I'll be able to share these... Uh, share these things with everybody at the minute. We're just kind of busy behind the scenes, making sure that they're all the way they need to be and uh, looking forward to the next chapter. Well, look forward, look forward to hearing what's, what's coming next for you, Dougie. Um, look, just a couple of quick fire questions before we finish up. Um, I think I probably know the answer to the first question, but I'll ask you anyway. Who's the best player you've ever played with? 
Do you know what? It's not. I'm not going to say Brian Lara. So the best, the best overseas player I've played with is, without a shadow of a doubt, Alan Donald. Like amazing. The best player, and it depends what you want to call it. Is it is it your best performer? Is it somebody who gives to your team, or is it somebody who um, performs better than what the skill set probably? Because it's a really difficult question to answer. What I will say is. Um, Ashley Giles was a, a pretty limited cricketer, um, mm-hmm. but an amazing, amazing player. And, and if the team were ever, and I'm talking about Warwickshire or England, if they were ever in a, a challenging position, he always found a way to get the team or himself out of that position. Um, like, unbelievably good player. Um, <laughs> Nick Knight was another one, very limited player, but as a one day player, Particularly, he's a bit like Bevan. Bevan. Nick Knight. He always used to remind me a bit. Remind me a bit of Bevan. He just found a way to score score runs. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there, and it's the best player I've ever played with is Jonathan Trott. Not because of his any reason other than, irrespective of any situation, he will always take the game by the scruff of the neck. And he'll always churn him out. Ian Bell, very close, very sort of different kind of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, very close decision. But I would say Trotty is somebody that just, just found a way. Outstanding player. Um, again, a bit like Alan Donald. You wouldn't know whether Trotty was playing a test match or playing for Warwickshire. One day game, test match, didn't matter. He just wanted to win the game. And so for that reason, I'd say probably Trotty is probably up there with one of the best players. Fantastic, fantastic player. Um, okay, who's the best Scotland player you've seen? There's a lot. I mean, you look at that, that I've played with, I'll say that I've played with. Um, I think, obviously, latterly, um, some like Callum has done brilliantly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyle's done, done incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys that are playing currently in the Scotland team, I will have played, certainly played against mm-hmm. um, in some way, shape or form. Phenomenal players. But guys that I actually played with, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Gav obviously is, is a, a really, really good player. Blaney was, yeah. was excellent. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually going to say that the best player that I played with was, was um, Craig Wright. Because Wrighty, again, another one, Again, quite a limited player. But Wrighty, look at Wrighty's record. You know, forget with a bat, think about with a ball. Mm-hmm. If you if you watch them ball, and, you know, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. Like it wasn't the most oh, legs pretty, pretty of actions, you, you know. Yeah. But but actually, he was unbelievable uh, and a, a massive competitor. Just mm-hmm. found a way. He did really well against everybody. So yeah. I'm going to say that Wrighty probably. And I actually, I don't know where everybody else's stats are against against his, but he must compare really favourably against most people ever to pull on a Scotland jersey. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you, Wrighty. Especially when Scotland made the transition into county cricket, Wrighty's spells were just phenomenal. He had no right ball in those type of spells. No. It was funny actually, the T20 World Cup, Wrighty was not selected to play against Pakistan, and mm. Ross Lyons was due to play. Yeah. I, felt, you know, I felt sorry for Ross on the morning of the game. He was told in the bus that he was coming out um, because the, we'd had a watch and the, the pitch seemed to be doing a bit. 
right mm. to spell against Pakistan Amazing. was class. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Well. I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a good shout by you. Mm. We have just the last last question. Um, what would you say is the best moment you've ever experienced on a cricket field? Uh, you know what? I reckon it's that it's that last ball that you bowl at the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, when you've had like <laughs> you've been involved in the majority of games, yeah, and you're running on absolute empty, and you yeah. know that you don't have to bowl another ball because you're not going into your toes about to fall, your toes about to fall off the front. Oh, mate, but, that's a good answer. So, Away, away from that, from a, from a sort of success point of view, the best feeling I ever had was running into ball, the first ball of the match in my first ball's final against North Ants. So I ran, I ran in um, bowling to Alan Fordham. Um, and I remember there was 28,000 people at Lords. Uh, it was a delayed start, 1995. And I cannot remember, I, I can remember, but I could not feel the ball in my hand. No, um, but yeah. for me, this was, that was a phenomenal experience because it was like, I'm absolutely petrified here and I just hope it gets somewhere, forget close to the stumps, I just hope it gets somewhere close to the pitch. Yeah. Um, and you, you, you know, you've got the eyes of the world watching you and running into ball knowing you're absolutely terrified. For me, that is what playing sports all about. It's about overcoming fears. It's about knowing that you're vulnerable and actually still finding a way to, to overcome your vulnerability. Um, again, that was probably something that I, I managed to deal with pretty well. Um, but it's terrifying at the time. Coming through that, so walking back, second ball, having bowled the first ball, probably was that best feeling ever, knowing that I've just bowled that ball, and I've yeah. now played in a loss final. And that, for me, was everything that I wanted to try and achieve, achieve out of playing cricket and I actually after that first ball I'd, I'd achieved it Listen Dougie Brown it's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um, you know when I sat down to, to prepare for this podcast I was just amazed when you actually look at it of everything you've done in the game um, the fact that you, you once coached at a World Cup and then played in a World Cup after it I just find that, that you, you, if they, they look into that and do the research it can't happen very often um, in mm -hmm. cricket um, lengthy career as a county cricketer. You played for England ODIs. You played for Scotland. You've done it all. Um, I wish you nothing but the very best in the in the next chapter. Um, all the best to you and your family out in out in Dubai. Um, and look, this will this will, uh, I think the the general public will will enjoy this one. But thanks again for for coming on. And please keep tuning into my show, Dougie. Will do. Cheers. Cheers, Shaky, as well. I really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks to everybody for um, supporting me all the way through my career. Uh, if indeed you did. If you didn't, well, well, I'm sorry. But, but for the majority, thank you very much for, uh, for shouting out for me. No, no. Listen, Dougie, I'm sure many supported you. You're a good man. You take care of yourself.